Well, good morning, church family. I tell you what, I, I, and I don't know if I can say this or not, but, but I will. Uh, man, if the Lord didn't work in your heart through that worship, we started out with like an, an ancient hymn, and we went to some old school southern gospel music, and then something like Christian contemporary, and then something brand new from Austin, and then ended on uh, the spirit of the living God. I, I, I probably missed something in there, but I tell you what, we are blessed at College Park Church to be in a place where God's spirit moves, where he has provided people who can lead us before his throne. And then we're, we get to, how crazy is this? Did you get to hold in your hand or look at on your screen or whatever, the very word of God. Do you know how rare that is in history? Like that you have, you have his right, right, right here. I'm holding it. I can know what God has said and see what God sees and what, what he has. Like I'm, I'm holding it right here. And in this place, we're going to talk about this. I, like I wish, I wish my, my life, I'm 31. It's the oldest I've ever been. And I wish the first, you know, the f- first number of years, I wish I, I knew what I held in my, in my hand. I wish I knew the, the authority of God. I wish I, I understood more firmly the reality of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. I wish I understood the authority of the word because when you understand the authority of the one who's speaking to you, you will be more apt to not just get to, but to jump at what he tells you to do to honor and respect. In fact, I, I remember learning this lesson when I was 16. I'd just gotten my license. Do you remember getting your license? Or maybe you don't have your license yet. You remember, you, you can look forward to getting it. I finally got my driver's license, and my parents said uh, I had a rule in the house. I was one of four boys. We all drove. Insurance was through the roof, and so they couldn't afford a ticket, and we had to pay for our own insurance, Thought I'd get an amen from a parent somewhere in there. And so uh, we had to pay for our own insurance. I didn't want a ticket. And so uh, they said, here's the rule, drive like a grandma, right? Now, maybe your grandma is a crazy driver. I don't know, but ours, mine, was stereotypical. I won't go into it, but anyways, that was the rule. And so we were, uh, I finally got my license, and I had uh, permission to go drive my friends to the skate park. I grew up skating and surfing in Florida. And so we went on the way back, to make a long story short, uh, I was driving and I got on the highway and I saw blue lights in my rear view mirror. Oh, but your heart stops, doesn't it? Right? I say that and your heart's stopping and it doesn't matter how fast you're going. You could, be, you could be parked in a parking lot. You hit your brakes, right? When you see blue lights, it's just what happens. And so I saw blue lights in my mirror and I checked my speed and I hit my brakes and slowed down and I thought surely they're not coming for me and no he came for me got behind me and started kind of leaning to the right to tell me to pull over so I pulled over and uh, the state trooper pulled up to the window I put it down and I said "Uh, sir how can I help you and she said (laughs) you can give me your license and registration I was learning a lot of life lessons that day And I pulled out my license and registration and gave it to her, and 
she went back, and, uh, and my friends in the car, none of which who had licenses, by the way, were saying, Tim, just tell, him, tell her you were going uh, with the flow of traffic, right? And so she came back and said, how fast were you going, by the way? And I said, I don't know. I, I was just going with the flow of traffic. Now, they don't have licenses, right? They haven't gotten a ticket in their life telling me what to do, and I listened I was 16, and that's what you do. And so they came back and said, how fast? I said, I don't know. I was just going with the flow of traffic. And uh, she said, no, you're going a little faster than that. You're going faster than all of the rest of traffic. And so how fast were you going? I said, oh, I don't know, probably maybe 50 and a 45. She said, a little higher. I said, 51. She said, how about a little higher? I said, 54. She said, we'll settle on 54. Here's your ticket. And I said, thank you very much. Now, I tell you, I'll tell you all that to tell you this. On the way to church this morning, to get from where I live to here, I come down Meridian 31, the highway part. And in that, there are always cops, Carmel police officers on 31. If you speed on 31, you're crazy. Because every single morning on the way to church, there are cops on 31. If you go above 55 on 31, you deserve a ticket. You're asking for a ticket. If a cop's not there, he's just right up the road having pulled someone over. And I learned at 16 to respect the authority of those who can give me tickets, police officers, which by the way, we're all thankful for, right? And so, yeah, you can clap for them. And so because at 16... I learned the authority of one who not only keeps me safe, but also keeps me in line every time I see a cop. I have a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety, and a whole lot of thankfulness in my heart. Now, I know that's not true for everybody in the room, and I don't even want to project that into your life, but the reality is we understand whether it's parents or whether it's uh, law enforcement or military or uh, work and boss relationship, whatever it is, when you understand the authority that one has, you are more apt to follow their commands. And when we look at Scripture, I want to challenge you this morning as you look into the rest of your year with an idea that will shape it all, and it is this, that Jesus is king. He is the innate, ultimate authority. Jesus is king, and he has commissioned us to fulfill his mission. He has given us an order, and I'm guessing today that if you have trouble following through, one of the problems is maybe, just maybe, you don't know already, or you have forgotten again the authority of Jesus Christ, and Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, is going to introduce us to Jesus, our King. In fact, at the end of this, to lay my cards out, here's what I hope you get out of this. I hope you walk away out of here going, well, Jesus is King. He's authority over me. That changes my life because I'm going to fulfill his mission. So look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and let's see what it says. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the Spirit of God to you and to me says this through Matthew. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, 
the son of Abraham. Now, if you're in, in, in our culture, really any other culture other than a Jewish Middle Eastern culture, which is when this was written, right? Just imagine, we live in the West. The East is the East. In the middle between the West and the East is the Middle East, okay? And so G, uh, Matthew is writing, amazing, right? Matthew is writing to Jews who live where Jesus lived in the Middle East to tell them that the one who has come, died, and risen again was the one they were waiting for, the Messiah who would come, the one who would rule over all things. When we see the term Jesus Christ, it often, different things come to mind, but never really the idea of a Messiah king priest. That's what Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 is saying. Matthew is reminding you and reminding me and reminding those who live that he was writing to that this Jesus who has come is not just named Jesus. He is Jesus the Christ. Now why is that important? Because in Jewish culture and tradition, the Messiah was the one who would come to rule and reign not just God's people but all things. In Genesis 49, we find out that the Messiah would be the one who will rule his people forever. In Deuteronomy 18, we find out that the Messiah would be the one from God who speaks for God. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we find out that the Messiah would be the Son of God, sent from God through King David's line, who will take the iniquity, the sin, the trespasses of God's people. In Isaiah 52 and 53, we find out that he is the exalted one, but he would be so marred he wouldn't be able to be recognized, that he would pour out his blood so that the wrath of God would be satisfied, that he fulfilled the word of God so that God would be glorified, that he would be incarnated as man, though for eternity he was deified and is deified and will always be God. He bore our grief and sorrows so that we could be sanctified. He would be afflicted by God. He would be pierced by God. He would be condemned by God. He would be crushed by God. He would be killed by God and he would be raised by God because it pleased God that we can now be saved by God. But that's not all. In Micah, we find out that he is the eternal one who rules his people. Our Messiah unites his people. Our Messiah shepherds his people. Our Messiah secures his people. Our Messiah is peace for his people. And our Messiah is, the great, uh, is great to the ends of the earth, not just for his people, but for all people. And you're, you can clap for Jesus. That's good. That's our Messiah. That's good. And just in case you're saying, Tim, that, that's Old Testament, right? Like my Bible has red letters and, you know, those are the only ones that matter. Oh, listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 24. Jesus said this. He said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus, who is the Messiah, said everything that's been written about me, everything in the Old Testament, that is all me fulfilled. When everything was created, it was created through and by and for Jesus Christ. When God called Abraham and said there will be an heir, that you will be a blessing to all 
people, he was referring to the coming of Jesus Christ. When God called his people uh, through Moses and said one day there would, will, be, will be one who leads the people of God perfectly, he was referring to Jesus Christ. Christ, when God called prophets to speak to his people, to call them back out of sin and back into his light and life, we, they were looking forward to the day of Jesus Christ. When God had led his people through the wilderness, led his people into the promised land by Joshua, Joshua wasn't the ultimate savior. They were looking forward to Yeshua, the Lord saves, that's his name, Jesus Christ, when we get into the New Testament, when we find out in Hebrews chapters 1 through 3 that, God, that Jesus is the superior prophet. He's the superior angel messenger. He is the superior to Moses. He is the superior promised land. He is the superior rest. He is superior to Joshua. He is the superior priest. He is the superior king. We find out that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and that's how Matthew starts out his book. So here's the question. Do you see Jesus as that authority? If you were to make a list before this moment of the top three things Jesus is to you, would all authoritative Messiah, King, Priest even make the list? See, Jesus is a lot of things. But all other things are subjugated to the reality that Jesus is God who is our Messiah, King, Priest. And I'm guessing if you see Jesus as less than that, you're having a really hard time Submitting to his authority. Submitting to his commands. Because he's king, he gets to command us stuff. He doesn't have to ask permission. He's not in heaven having a, a meltdown. Well, I don't know if Tim's going to do that. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with him. No way. He is king. He asks for no permission. And so why in the world, when we look, when we walk through this life, do we have such a problem? Now, here's, here's what I want to encourage you with. Go to Matthew chapter 28 to the very end. Now that we know who Jesus is, go to Matthew chapter 28, and let's see what happens here. Because this is the Jesus who came. This is the Jesus who the disciples Followed. This is the Jesus who the Jews hated. This is the Jesus who healed people, who gave sight to the blind, who made the mute talk. This is the Jesus who poured out his blood. This is the Jesus who died on a cross. This is the Jesus who raised from the dead. And this is the Jesus who's speaking these words in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. That was the introduction. Here we go. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, here's where, here we go, they worshiped him. Well, hold on. Here we, what, what, what's happening? They see Jesus resurrected from the dead. And literally the term worship is they fall down on their face. 
Is it some of them got it? Like some of them saw this. They saw this, this Jesus is real. This is it. This is the one Matthew was talking about. When we look at Matthew chapter one, verse one, all that stuff about the Messiah, this is him. And they fall down and worship. But look at how, it, how Matthew continues in verse 17. But some doubted. Now, why, why do they doubt? What does it mean to doubt. Well, here's what we do know to help comfort you a little bit. This isn't the word for unbelief. Although, there may have been some who didn't believe. The idea of doubting, this word means just to, what you would think of doubt, to be uncertain about taking a particular course of action. Some of your translations probably say, and some hesitated. The idea is when you go to pay for something or give and the, uh, the, the cash register shows an amount, you pull out your card and you go to pay and you see the amount and you go, whoa, that was not what I thought it would, would be, right? Like whenever uh, I go to Ulta with my wife or beauty brands or whatever it is, right? Like I don't wear makeup and so I don't know how much. And then I see it, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, you, you're worth every every penny. You don't even need it, but we'll buy it, right? So just, right, just that moment where you go, that's what it costs. That's what it cost. And in that hesitation, they were experiencing this because they realized who Jesus was. He's standing in front of them, this Messiah, King, priest. He's been raised from the dead, and they have a moment where they go, wait a minute. Like this, this just got Real. They hesitated because it was no longer theory or waiting. It was now practice of their Messiah King standing before them and saying, what are you going to do with me? And some fall down in worship and some go, whoa. And we look at them and go, well, how, how, how would they hesitate? Jesus is right there. He's right they're speaking to them. He's right there. They can see him. He's right there. They can hold him in their hands. They have no doubt what Jesus is all about because they have it right there. He is right there before him. How could they doubt? Okay. Well, let me ask you a question. How could you? Or just to be more forward, how do you doubt? Why do you doubt? I mean, if we're all being honest here, we understand many the reality that Jesus is king, but we have a hard time living out the reality that Jesus is king, and we're standing on the precipice of what our king has commanded us to do, and we're waiting and waiting, hesitating and hesitating, and scripture says we are doubting. And that's exactly what they're doing right here. So why? Well, here's some guesses. Because this, this Jesus is going to tell you, make you listen to what you don't want to hear. I mean, he's he's going to say really hard things to you. And you have to listen to it because he's king. He's going he's to tell you to do what you don't want to do. And you have to do it because he's king. This Jesus is going to tell you to go where you don't want to go, and you have to go. You know why? Because Jesus 
is king. He's going to tell you to stay where you don't want to stay. But you have to stay. Because this Jesus is king. He's going to tell you to give what you don't want to give. But you have to give. Because Jesus is king. He's going to tell you to stop what you don't want to stop. He's going to tell you to, tell you to be someone you don't want to be. But you have to stop and you have to be that person because Jesus is king. And he makes these demands. His disciples had heard it for three years from the mouth of Jesus Christ. They're face to face with the reality of who he is. And they hesitate because Jesus is going to tell them to do stuff. That's why I hesitate. That's probably why you hesitate. Because you go, if, okay, if this is real, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to swipe the card quite yet because if I do this, this will cost. And they hesitate. And so this morning, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that if you find yourself at the place where the disciples find themselves at the end of Matthew, face to face with their Messiah king, priest. Some have worshiped, but if you are hesitating, Jesus is going to speak and come and call on you. I'm not making it up. Look at the text. Verse 18. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, this is so important. They were standing there, some worshiping, some hesitating, standing on the edge, face to face with Jesus, and he comes to them and he doesn't just come to them, he speaks to them. Brothers and sisters, we do not serve a God who just stands on his throne up in heaven, looking down at us, hoping we'll figure it out. We have a God who has come, who is our Messiah, King, Priest, who made all things. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and all those who dwell therein. They who made everything, who dwells with his people and who has come to them. This is the pattern of God's love for his people. Like read the end of the book in Revelations, right before, uh, Revelation, right before the maps. That in that process, it is Christ who comes to rule and reign with his people, to walk among his people. The glory of the nations coming to him as he dwells with his people. Jesus Christ came to those who are on the precipice, doubting whether or not to truly give their life fully to this Messiah King, and he speaks to them. He doesn't hide his word. You're you're holding it in your hand or looking at it on your phone or hearing it spoken even as we come together. He speaks to you. And this is what he tells those who are standing on the edge, doubting, having a hard time, hesitating because of who Jesus is. He says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. For behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. To those who were hesitating, Jesus gives them a command. By, by the way, have you ever thought about how just, just insane this sounds? The Messiah is here. His kingdom's going to be established. Here's his grandiose plan, which turns out to be really incredible. I'm going to take you, and your job is to tell people about me, dunk them underwater, and then teach them what I said. And you are the one that are to do that. That's Christ's grandiose plan. It would be crazy if he wasn't Messiah, king, priest, but he is, isn't he? And in that process of going and making disciples, that's the command. We'll come back to it later. He tells us that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And this one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, this Messiah, king, priest, this Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham from Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This one who has all authority on heaven and earth, he is with you always. He is with you always. He is with you always to the end of the age. So for those of them that were standing there doubting, uh, uh, hesitating to move forward, for those of you in this room, for me, when I hesitate and I doubt what what God is calling me to do, hesitating to move forward, that of course Jesus is going to speak to you words you never have heard on your own because he's king, but then also he is with you. That this Jesus is going to do with you what you could have never done on your own because he's king and he's with you. When he calls you to go, of course you're going to go, but you're not going alone. He is going with you. When he tells you to stay, you're not staying alone. He's staying with you. When he tells you to give, you're not giving alone. You're giving what he's given you, and he's got a whole lot more than you do. And so you give because he is with you. When he tells you to endure, when he tells you to live, when he tells you to be, whatever it is that God's calling you to do, he's not leaving you on your own to figure it out. God's not in heaven hoping Tim Whitney figures out this Christian in life. No, he is with me, working in me and through me by the power of his word. He is present with me because he has all authority and he's promised never to leave me. And that is such good news for someone who is hesitating. That Eve? That though your hesitation is human, I guess it's normal. They were doing it 2,000 years ago. Like even before that, just read the Old Testament. It's all over the place. That even though hesitating is human, the God who became man and is God walks through his, with his humans to get them moved from hesitation to worship. What does that look like? He tells you right here. In fact, look at this again. This is beautiful. This is his his movement. This is what he tells his people to to do. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded 
you. So what does it look like? I'm going to save you like three years of seminary right now, right? You're going to, you don't even have to go anymore if God's calling you to go or whatever. That's not true. Ignore that part. Do you know what it means when Jesus says, go and make disciples? It means go and make disciples. Do you know what it means when it says of all nations? It means of all nations. All the people, groups everywhere, all of them, go make disciples of them. Do you know what it means when it says baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? It means baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know what it means when it says teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you? It means teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Our Messiah King being with us gives us this great mission, his mission on this earth, and commissions us to fulfill it. It's not that complex. We go tell people about Jesus wherever people are. We baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, just like we see people get baptized here. We teach them to observe all things that Christ has commanded us. We teach them the word of God because he's with us. Now, this is where it gets real. It's a day of resolutions or so I've heard. I haven't made any. <laughs> but as you, as you look forward into your year, it just, it's a time where we look forward into our year. The mission of God from the mouth of God is to make disciples of God, baptized in the name of God, learning the things about God, and the next year have you thought about what this might look like in your life? Like, it, it's easy for us to look at the text and go, yeah, someone should do that. Like, somebody should totally tell people about Jesus. Like, somebody should totally go to all the nations. Somebody should, right? I mean, it's from Jesus. That's got to be good advice. Like, somebody should, somebody should do that. Somebody should teach people stuff about Jesus. Somebody should do that, Okay. This is not just for them, although it is. You ever heard a sermon and thought, I wish, I wish that person was here and could hear it. Yes, this is also for them, but this is also for me, and this is also for you. You have the very Spirit of God in you as a follower of Christ, that Christ is with you. All authority is his. He is our king, and he's commanding you. This is his command for you. He is the one who has all authority. And if you see, he has all authority. This is his mission for you, that you would be actively involved in making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that he has commanded us. This is not just for them. This is not just for me. This is not just for your pastors. This is not just for your elders. This is not just for your small group leaders. This is not just for those that are on the prayer team, or our deacons, or our ushers, or whatever ers we have in, uh, on here at College Park. This is for you. And so if today you've come to the place where you would say, yes, I see Jesus as king. I believe what God has said. 
So Tim, what do I do with that, right? Just knowing the command is not fulfilling it. Man, we have some great ways here at College Park Church. Can I give you just a couple of ways maybe this year you could help fulfill the mission of God? Now, listen, none of this is self-serving for College Park Church as a building. This is instead what God would call us to do. How God has led our church to fulfill this great commission of, of igniting a passion for Jesus Christ. And maybe, just maybe, what you're thinking right now is you've got to go on a vision trip. You've got to figure out what the nations are. If, um, if you're a parent of a high schooler, can I, can I just speak to you right now? If you can figure out how to get your child out of the nation on a vision trip, it will change the rest of his adult life or her adult life. Like, you gotta get him out of this country. Not because the country is bad, but because the world is big and there are so many lost people. Maybe you yourself need to go with them on a vision trip. You need to see what the nations are that God has called us to reach. Maybe, just maybe, you need to go serve in the children's area. Oh, don't close your ears. Hold on, hold on. Don't close your ears yet. But maybe you're like, how in the world do I make disciples of all nations? Like, on the other side of that wall, on the second floor and first floor of that building, there's a whole group of people that don't speak your language. Right? (laughs) They don't make any sense. They do what they want. They don't know Jesus. You see your own lostness coming out in your kids. I mean, they need Jesus Christ deeply. I'll never forget uh, when my wife and I were first married, we... We served in the preschool area, and there's this little girl named Peyton, and, you know, she, we had a little bond, and uh, we read a book one time, and uh, we were in the three- year and four-year-old room, and uh, a few years later, she came to faith in Christ, and uh, I, went, I went forward to, you know, give her a hug and say, congratulations, Peyton. I kind of watched her grow up and in that church, and we met in a middle school, and so kind of everybody was aware of who everybody else was, and, uh, and she said, uh, Mr. Tim, uh, do you remember when you were my teacher? I said, I, I do. She said, do you remember when we read that book about baptism? I said, I do. She said, thank you. Listen, if you want to make disciples, there's a whole bunch over there that don't know Jesus. They're like literally across the hallway. Maybe just maybe a vision trip isn't for you or working in children's isn't for you. Uh, maybe just maybe you yourself need to get baptized. You're standing on the precipice of what God's called you to do and you're hesitating. Goodness, maybe, just maybe, you need to attend an evangelism class. This whole idea of making disciples and uh, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. That begins by sharing the gospel. Uh, That, by the way, uh, is what what Jesus is referring to when he says make disciples. Uh, Not just being there with them, but also getting to a point where you share the gospel with them. Did you know that on January 15th, in the chapel area, a, number, a team of people are leading an evangelism class to teach you exactly how to do this? Listen, if you don't know how to share the gospel, or you're, you're kind of rusty at it, or you're hesitant with it, why don't on January 15th, for four weeks, you come to the chapel, register and sign up, and learn how to share the gospel? 
I'll be there. If you don't like me, Del Shaw will be there. If you don't like him, Jenny Brake will be there. And if you don't like her, I don't know what to tell you. Come because Jesus wants you to come, right? I mean, maybe just, maybe, whatever it is that God's called you to do, you've been hesitating And in this moment, you're realizing who Jesus really is, and he's calling you to follow him. He's calling you to make disciples. I just give you a bunch of ways to do that. And so maybe today, you're going to make a commitment before the Lord and say, that before I leave this place, I'm going to figure out what it looks like to take the next step. We have a whole next steps area for that. Did you know that? That helps you know what to do to take your next step. There will be people up front here in just a couple of minutes who can help pray with you about what God would call you to do. But not because some young preacher on a Sunday morning said you should, but because Jesus is the Messiah King priest who's called you to mission. And this year your mission is going to be to fulfill the mission of the king. And that's going to drive your next year. And that's going to drive your family. That's going to dictate how you, how you work. That's going to dictate your relationships. It's going to dictate how you deal with your neighbor whose dog always goes in your yard and you have to pick it up. It's going to dictate those things for the sake of fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ. Because he's king. And our king has called us, has commissioned us rather, to fulfill his mission. And his mission is disciples from all nations, having been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and being taught all the things that Jesus has commanded. And a group of people doing that, who are under the authority, understanding King Jesus, understanding his authority, and he's with them. For the last couple uh, minute or so, actually, what would God call you to do? Or not even would, right? What is God calling you to do? How would he call you to make disciples? In fact, we're going to just pray for about the last minute or so. Would, would that be okay? Uh, go ahead and get comfortable wherever you are. Bow your head, close your eyes, uh, turn around in your seat, stand in the aisle. Whatever you do to pray, let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord right now, God, what would it look like for me to make disciples in 2017? Now, as those who are having that conversation with God are praying in a room this size with a group of people this size, and I just know there are people who do not know this Jesus Christ. Like maybe for the first time, and I don't mean, uh, maybe it is the very first time, and maybe you've heard the gospel a thousand times, but today your ears have been opened and you go, that's who Jesus is? I want to be under that Jesus Christ. And maybe today, for the very first time, the Lord is opening your eyes to see that you are deep in your sin, separated from God. I have some really bad news for you. The consequences of sin, Romans Romans 6.23 is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're finding yourself here in this moment, looking at your life and going, man, that's King Jesus. I'm not a follower of his. In fact, I'm in my sin. I have some good news for you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is, those who are praying about making, how they'll make disciples in 2017, as they continue to do so, maybe you need to stop and pray that God would make you a disciple right now, beginning in 2017. And so for the next 30 seconds or so, if today the Lord is working in your heart to say, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus, I need God to forgive me of my sin, so that this one who has all authority will not only save me, but dwell with me? Then maybe for the next 30 seconds, that's the conversation you have with God. And whatever it is, whether making disciples or becoming a disciple, at the end of this, we'll have people up front to pray with you. When I pray at the very end and dismiss you, there's a next step center that wants to help you. Because at College Park Church, we want to ignite a passion for Jesus Christ, not because it's a cool thing that sounds nice, but because that's what God has called us to do. Our King, he's commissioned us to fulfill that mission. I'm going to be quiet for the next 20 seconds, and then I'll pray, and then we'll be dismissed. pray together. Father, I thank you that in 2017, we don't have to try to figure out what your will is, what you've commanded us to do, but Lord, we have a really hard time, oftentimes, believing, seeing you as our king, submitting to your authority. God, I'm the first to admit that I I hesitate so often. God, you have promised that you have all authority. You've said that Christ is with us to the end of the age. And so I pray, based on your word, that you would show me what it looks like to make disciples of all nations. That you'd show me what it, what it looks like more fully to help others come to Christ. And Father, for those in here who aren't disciples, that you would save them. Lord, I ask that they would be reconciled to you by your spirit. Father, I ask that we'd walk out of here more in love with Jesus and more like him, ready to fulfill our king's mission because he's commissioned us, more so when we leave than when we came in. It's in his name we pray, amen.